Now, the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. All right, we're uh, we're here, Rufus and Gerald Adams, me, and the cake. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Rufus is one of uh, several. Uh, this isn't the only birthday cake you had this week, is it? No, we had a Van, Van Uret. Angus Barn came out with a big cake. Now, this one is supposed to be... Uh, Oh, let's see. What what did he say? It's it's peach. Uh, no, no orange. Or, orange, orange marmalade. Orange marmalade with bourbon infused chocolate from the City Club. Well, I'm, I'm, some I'm, of the news people here have gotten that. They're not going to well, slur their words, I'm, are they? Yeah, one of them came by a little bit tipsy. I swear. It's going to be a rough day for. Oh, yeah. by the way, this is the weekend gardener <laughs> on WPTF. I'm Mike Rayley. Rufus Edmiston, as we mentioned, Gerald Adams, the um, the extraordinary. Do we have? Uh, is uh, Craig LaHoulier called in? Craig, I'm sure have. Good morning, buddy. I'm sorry we can't give you any of this orange marmalade bourbon chocolate cake. You know, I, I'm feeling so bad about this. I love chocolate, but that sounds great. You guys enjoy it, and don't don't overeat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, Rufus has been cutting some big pieces in in here, and uh, the uh, as we mentioned, the the new staff is a little tipsy this morning, so it's no telling what what Rigsby's going to do at uh, the top of the hour. But at any rate, we're here to to talk about tomatoes in uh, the first hour. So uh, folks like to call us, 919-860-9783. We got Gerald and Craig to talk about tomatoes. And by the way, I went uh, by Marshall's. Did you ever go by Marshall's on uh, 64 uh, around the Jordan Lake area, Craig? It's a uh, tomato yes, farm? I, yep. I, I actually know those guys a little bit, and I gave them some seeds a few times, and they bought some of their tomatoes. That's really quite a place. Yeah, they, they have opened now. I think they opened last week sometime or week before last, and uh, we stopped there yesterday, and, and Melissa got some tomatoes. I said, well, Gerald's – I know Gerald's going to bring some tomatoes. We just She said, well, <laughs> we'll eat them. <laughs> but um, at any rate, uh, we, we have um, – we have lots of good tomatoes. How are they looking in uh, the Hendersonville area? Well, you know, these are the times that Tri Gardener sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gerald will know what I mean. Anytime. Even in the mountains where it's cool? We, uh, well, it's cool relatively, but oh. we have had six or seven days in a row of really heavy afternoon thunderstorms, and that mm. gets the foliage all wet and then... It stays wet overnight, so most of my time now is chasing down the spots, the blemish diseases. The uh, yeah, this is uh, last year was the ideal year where everything went pretty well, perfect, and this year is more normal, meaning <laughs> lots of troubleshooting to do and lots of remedial work to do in there. But pick the first large fruit tomatoes this week. So <clears> our <throat> season is just beginning here. 
Now, why is it that everybody wants to grow the hardest vegetable slash fruit known to man? Because they're so delicious. Hardest to grow. Yeah. Hardest to grow. Because yeah. you're not a real gardener if you don't. <laughs> yeah. That's... Well, you know, you know, tomatoes are maybe the one thing that the homegrown tastes better than the one that's not homegrown. Where, you know, onions, you grow them yourself, you buy them, they taste pretty much the same, carrots. But tomatoes, that, that difference in flavor... And the fact that you can grow so many different types yourself, it just um, – so, yeah, most gardeners are probably going a little bit cuckoo in the garden right now, um, trying to figure out all of the things that are going wrong, which is, which is you know, it's the summer. Gerald, are you finding kind of the same stuff where you are? <clears throat> oh, yeah, most definitely. I've had more people call, text, email me, I'd say, in the last 10 to 14 days. It's kicked uh-huh. into a, another, another, another degree. And we, for once, we had, and it is odd, we started out with probably a really dry June for the most part, which is the first time here we've been below average rainfall in June in, I don't know, four or five years. And I tell people that's great because we'll have less diseases, and they look at me crazy because they're having to water more. And I say, well, you just wait. Once we start to see the rain, that won't be as good. And all of a sudden here in the last two weeks, we've had a lot more rainfall. Now, there's some areas getting more uh, than others, but still we've had enough that it's just disease is popping up everywhere. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is if people um, stake their tomatoes, and that's what I do, those gusty afternoon storms make things start uh, tipping over and bending over and stems breaking. And I had my perfect-looking Cherokee purple plant bend over, and I went out to fix it. Of course, that big stem at the bottom near broken half. So, uh, yeah, yeah, let's just say this is a teaching part of the gardening <laughs> season, and there's an awful lot of lessons out there. Now, do you use tobacco sticks and uh, and, and strips of old sheet <laughs> to tie them up? I, <laughs> you know, I, I get those eight-foot green metal core. That's um, your problem, Craig. That's your problem. <laughs> you need, you well, need a tobacco uh, well, stick. Biker stick's not long enough. <laughs> we, we, now my plants get to eight feet plus, and I'm growing on my septic area back there, so I can't go too deep. So what I need to do is have the discipline to keep my plants shorter. But what gardener can possibly cut lots of healthy green growth off the top of their plant? So it's a little bit of a catch-22, but it's still fun, and we're still going to get plenty. And by the time we hit September, I'll take a deep breath and say, that's it for this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless, I have no discipline anyway, so I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to do that or anything else. You know, it has, it has surprised me, Craig, as you know, I've been selling plants at the market, how many people have said, well, well I, I top mine and cut them back every year. And I say, well, why? Well, I have trouble supporting them. I said, well, don't you want to have more tomatoes? Uh, so it, it goes – that really has surprised me of all the things and kind of crazy questions I have gotten that I've never gotten before or that much. That has surprised me more uh, than anything. So that's when I bring up Dwarf Tomato Project for them, Craig, and yeah. say, well, you can yeah. grow plants that don't get as tall. Uh, well, I, I, I have a, a eight-foot rebars – that somebody left there one time. Now that is a good tomato uh, stalk yeah. stick, and put about three of them, and and no wind is going to take that down. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, you know the internet, also YouTube, and all of these little. There is so much bad gardening information out there, and uh, you know I look at these, and people are saying when your pepper plants get about eight inches tall, just 
chop the whole top off and they'll push up. And I'm like, yeah, well, you also, you also just delayed your first pepper by about two or three weeks. So yeah. it's, you know, um, I'm answering a lot of emails every night. And a lot of times people will say, what about this? What about that? I'm like, did you find that in the internet? Well, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> should, this is what you should do instead. Because people are just trying to sell stuff. They're trying to sell ads. They're trying to sell their, you know, their, what is it, influencing? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a curmudgeon old dude when it comes to all of that sort of stuff. Well, uh, the, the North Carolina Cooperative Extension Service certainly, certainly has great information on there. But oh, yeah. uh, talking to folks at the farmer's market who, who grow tomatoes or uh, calling this show is certainly a great way to handle that. Uh, Tom, I'm not sure you have a tomato question, but uh, how can we help you this morning? Well, good morning, guys. I appreciate you um, hosting the tomato uh, episode this morning, but from listening to uh, Craig and Gerald talk, I think you guys have been peeking over the fence looking in my backyard. (laughs) (laughs) Got some trouble, Tom? (laughs) Oh, man, out the yin-yang, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I took, uh, well, for the past couple of years, I followed Gerald's advice about using Epsom salt for the magnesium and mm-hmm. also applied uh, super triple phosphate. And uh, I've got tomato plants that are eight feet tall, and they're growing together, and they're bending over, and I needed some of Rufus's uh, rebar because uh, <laughs> these these eight foot green um, stakes are bending under the weight, and I've cut up all of my t-shirts trying to uh, tie them together. <laughs> it's just something awesome. But I'm happy. My wife is happy, and that's what matters. Um, she loves German Johnson tomatoes, and I grow them mm-hmm. for her. Wonderful. Um, but my uh, main reason, well, two main reasons for calling earlier, uh, Gerald was on talking about uh, the magnesium and Epsom salts and how it was good for oil, and it triggered something that I remembered from my biology days. And I went and hunted it down to find out that you know that the chlorophyll molecule and the hemoglobin molecule are exactly the same structure. The only difference is hemoglobin has iron and chlorophyll has magnesium in the center. Other than that, they're identical. So I thought that was amazing uh, design. Hmm. Um, my other question that I wanted to call in, though, was, was to talk about the um, yellowing leaves with the brown spots and everything else that's on them this time of the year. This just recently popped up about a week ago and has just gotten out of hand. I've had mm. to pull tomato plants up because uh, I just can't control it. Uh, yeah, if, if You know, there's two different types of those fungal diseases, if the spots are quite small and brown and don't have a whole lot of yellow, that's probably septoria leaf spot. And if the spots have like a bullseye and they're brown and they get a little bit larger and they have a yellow area on it, that's early blight. And every tomato grower who grows tomatoes east of the Mississippi 
struggles with this. Um, those two fungal spores are in the soil, they're in the air, they're on host plants all around the garden. And, uh, you know, if you if you do want to blast them away with uh, antifungal sprays, some people do that, but you have to cover every surface of every leaf. So I just religiously, every day, every morning, go out, and anytime I see a blemish on a leaf, I just pluck it off the plant, because as you've probably noticed, it spreads really, really fast. Yes, it has spread really fast, and I'm trying to keep myself organic, and I, I'm a little bit reluctant to spray. Um, I know the classic thing is daconil, but um, I keep thinking, though, what that does to the fruit. Yeah, um, I, I actually don't spray a thing, and I haven't for years and years, because, uh, like I said, even with daconil, if you don't hit top and bottom of every single leaf on the plant, and then when it rains, it washes off, and you have to do it again, it's it's not even worth the effort to me. It's just better to space your plants well. If they're really thickly foliaged, thin some of those leaves out so you get some air circulation. And then just get out there and make sure you'll get your wife really upset if you wear your best T-shirts out there when you're working amongst the tomato plants because <laughs> you turn <laughs> green, and that stuff never comes off your T-shirt. So <laughs> I noticed that uh, I started wearing gloves now because the first year I did that, I washed my hands for about 10 minutes, and I still looked like I was one of the invaders from Mars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a pretty green color, though, Gerald? I mean, you can turn that soapy water bright green for a long time, as you said. Well, having grown up on a tobacco farm, I know what all that nicotine would do. Yeah, there are worse for things. For your coloring in there. <laughs> Being at a tobacco field. Yeah, it's it pretty bad. three weeks to get off that, all that tar off. Mm. Well... Uh, I am from slightly the other camp in that I do do a lot of spraying, partially because I don't grow as I don't have room to grow as many plants as I would like to. So when I have a couple of particular varieties that I'm looking to save seed form, I'm anxious that they survive and I get some production from that. But it is it is difficult spraying, and at times it's a you're wondering what kind of results you're getting or not. Sometimes it's to combination of things that you do that may help yourself some or not but uh uh, as craig said earlier you every year is different uh and it seems like we have been having a little more rainfall particularly in june uh the last few years and that just brings in more of that disease pressure and earlier which is always a bad sign yeah, and the thing to watch for is when you get the yellowing, fo- like a whole branch turns bright yellow, and then the plant starts visibly wilting, even when it's well watered. That's um, some bad stuff that's actually in the soil. It could be um, granville wilt, bacterial wilt, fusarium wilt. If the plant actually wilts, um, then it's really, you've got to yank it, because it means that that plant won't really progress at all. So. If you just got the foliage spots and yellowing and the plant still looks vigorous on the top, you're in good shape. But if that plant starts really visibly wilting, then um, it's probably toast. And, Gerald, we're, we're seeing everything. I'm seeing fusarium wilt in plants grown in containers, um, grown in straw bales. So uh, we are having a very heavy disease pressure season this year out in the mountains. I had someone send me some pictures about a week ago, Craig, that I have – I hope – I don't know for a fact, but it really looked like late blight to me, and that's a little unusual for us to see here in the Triangle area. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually had one plant with it as well, Gerald, very early on. It, it had to go immediately. Sounds like an Daphne. <laughs> yeah. I've had to relocate my tomato bed this year for the very reason you guys were talking about just a couple seconds ago that uh, I had an area of my yard that uh, had the soil-borne uh, wilt and the mm-hmm. tomato plants would produce a first crop, and after that first crop, they just completely uh, dried up, and uh, there was nothing at the top. There was no green at the top. It was through systemic through the whole plant. So I relocated this year, and I built myself a cinder block bunker and put the tomato plants in that, and everything was going great uh, up until about two weeks ago. And then I've had a couple of plants that, as I said earlier, I've had to pull up, um, and I hope that is not in this because this is fresh 50-50 compost and topsoil that I just uh, spent a few hundred dollars putting in earlier this spring. So if I do that, I may just have to go hire somebody to grow them for me. Right. Well, I, I think from what uh, one of your pictures I saw, Tom, didn't look like there was wilt was in any of that. So okay. if, that, if that's any bit of good news, uh, I think that most of your issues right now are fungal-related. Okay, yep. that's good. I wonder how close scientists are to curing wilt problems in, in tomatoes. They're not. <laughs> not, cl- not even close, huh? So I took Craig about three years ago and did some, trying to do some research on what were supposed to be the most wilt-resistant varieties. And there was right. Coelho out of Hawaii, and I, I got seed from five or six places, some from somewhere in India. And I had one raised bed that I had carried the plant to NC State's lab, and yes, this southern bacterial wilt's what you got. So I planted these six different varieties which from my research said were the most wilt-resistant tomatoes, and and every single one of them died. Now, it took a little longer. I stuck a couple of other, you know, more common varieties in that bed with them, and they went a week or two sooner than the other ones did, but killed every one of them. So there's no such yeah. thing as a completely wilt-resistant tomato plant. No, that that is a, a real big misnomer that confuses the public because when – Resistant means it, it under disease, under heavy disease pressure, it may last a few weeks longer, but it's still going to go down. And um, Mike asked a really great question because a lot of these diseases, you can read about them in the old seed catalogs from the mid 1800s and late 1800s. And I think it's similar to what's going on with viruses that it's yes. just that biology is smarter than us and these diseases mutate into different forms. So just when you think you've got it licked, all of a sudden it's the same disease with a different genome. <clears throat> and it's, um, so, yeah, we're playing whack-a-mole with tomato disease. <laughs> uh, we are, and it's costing the tomato industry worldwide a fortune because, um, you know, when disease starts taking down significant parts of your, your farm fields, it's serious business. So I have no doubt people are working on it, but it's proving to be a very difficult nut to crack. Yeah. All right, Tom, does that uh, help? Yes, that does. Um, I'm uh, out here this morning, as we speak, <laughs> trying to beat the heat and just looking to see I can continue pulling off the leaves, as uh, Gerald uh, told me earlier, and uh, just continue to pull them off and just hope for the best that it doesn't spread to the rest. But it's 
job. Yeah. Well, I did the same thing this morning, Tom, but the, the plant is, that's got the wilted leaves is totally healthy otherwise. And I've never had a tomato plant that didn't have some leaves on the bottom that, yep. that turned brown. I had a, a neighbor, my, one of my neighbors called last week and said, come look at my tomatoes. And I went over there and I said, well, you've got blossom in right there, Marie. And I remembered something Gerald told me years ago. He said, if you'll go ahead and dose them real quick with calcium and water it, it'll cure it almost overnight. No, well, I, I didn't say that. I <laughs> well, Another I, misquote from I, the media. I remember you telling me that, and she swears that in a week's time, with a good dosing of calcium, that she has no more blossom in rot. Now, is that correct or not? Well, some yes and no, but sometimes you can have uh, blossom and rot from a physiological problem. So, you know, every now and then, I, I always lime all the plants I put, uh, uh, some in the hole or do the beds beforehand. But sometimes when you really plant early, those first few plants, when you have those great mm-hmm. tremendous temperature swings from day to night, those first fruit, the plant doesn't know what's going on because the weather's changing so much, it'll stop sending nutrients through it, and you can get blossom and rot on the first two, three, four fruit, and you had to, yep. and have a plenty of sufficient amount of calcium in the soil. Uh, so sometimes that happens to people. Yeah, I get people all the time, well, you told me to lime them, I'm lime them, my ter- first two fruit got blossom and rot on them. And I said, well, when did you plant? You planted them the 3rd of April. And then, you know, so the you had those tremendous weather changes, and that in all likelihood is what caused it. Just hang tight. The rest of them will be okay. And, I, it's, you know, it's probably yeah. good after, you, after the season is over, tomato season, to put lime into the soil of, uh, of whatever you're going to, if you're going to, in the ground. It, it's, it's very difficult in, in Wake County to get it too alkaline. <laughs> so you may have wasted some time and some money, but it, it's very hard here to have, have, have used too much lime yeah. uh, for it. But, well, uh, and the other big factor is really uneven watering and what's going on yeah. in your area and my area. Um, no watering is more uneven when you go from having very little rain to gully washers practically right. every night. And that stresses the plant. It interrupts the calcium transport. So yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> You know, it's almost like gardeners need this checklist, what can go wrong with my tomatoes? You can have a column that says what can go right as well, because lots do, but um, it, 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 you're, you're kind of chasing different right. issues as the season wears on. But it's so worth it. It's to, so worth it. Tom, okay, can Tom, you have too much calcium, Gerald? We'll talk about rare, that after the rare. news. Tom, thank you very much. Call us again. Thank you very much. Tom. All right. We'll be back. Let's get back to the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. We're back on WPTF at 837. Robert is with us. Good morning, Robert. You're on the Weekend Gardener. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, listen to the show every weekend, but don't uh, garden too much other than try to get my lawn and uh, trees in reasonable shape. But I'm calling this morning. I have uh, a couple of trees, an uh, ornamental uh, cherry tree and then likewise a purple-leaf plum tree. Uh, and they've both been doing really well, but I looked at them, and it looks like they either have, like, brown spots or uh, something called maybe leaf shot. And I'm wondering, is that uh, something that maybe uh, a fungicide would, uh, if I sprayed it on, would that kind of knock it out there? What are your thoughts on that? So so describe, is it got whole leaves turning brown, or is it like the tips of the leaves turning brown on both of them? And how old are the trees? Yeah. 
trees are about four years old, and it's the whole leaf that's turning brown. It's, it's not just the end, end tips. Uh, and is it the older leaves, or is it like the younger leaves right on the tips and outer outer perimeter of the tree? I, I think it's uh, basically on all the leaves. If I look at the ones on the tips, I look at kind of the inside under the canopy, and um, it seems like that's the case. And are, are those trees pretty close together in different parts of the yard? Uh, they're actually pretty different parts. One's in the front yard, one's in the backyard. Out of that. Yeah, I mean, you get sometimes, did this start about two weeks ago? Or has it been going on gradually all summer and now is getting a little worse? Uh, I tell you, I'm not sure. You know, my neighbor kind of pointed it out. I don't, you know, walk around my front yard too much over there and look at the tree, although it's a beautiful tree. I didn't really notice it. But um, uh, I think it's probably been going on for some time. I mean, I don't know what the velocity of the change from going to, like, normal leaves to, uh, you know, this kind of, like, brown brown spot, brown leaf. But, you know, it's almost like... Uh, when I look at them, it's almost like they're kind of withering a little bit, even though I know they're not, because uh, I think, as you guys mentioned, we've got a lot of rain recently as well, and our water is needed. Well, s- sometimes you see, uh, we I, we had some stuff on campus about two weeks ago when we had that stretch of 96, 7, 8, 9, 100-degree weather there, yeah. and we were in a pretty dry stretch at that point in time. And sometimes some of that stress on the trees, particularly ones that are four years is still fairly young for a tree, uh, right. and and you can get some defoliation from that, i.e. the leaves turn brown and fall off, and it not be a disease. So without seeing a picture of the tree, uh, it's it's hard hard to say for sure. I mean, when you search around it and look at the bark and you don't see if you see any other signs a damage, you want to look to see if it looks like there's sawdust around the base, which would be a sign of bores, any of those other things. Usually, many of the fungal diseases that you see in tree issues usually start out with some kind of little spots. Any of the uh, bores, any sawdust, anything, the bark looks good. It's mm-hmm. just uh, the leaves look like they're you know, wilting and under stress. And again, I thought maybe it was um, the, uh, the brown spot. Because you know, that's kind of what it looks like, at least on a picture. Yeah, I, and in that, I mean, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you which fungicide. I mean, at that kind of at four years old, I'm assuming those trees are not very big, and it would would be possible to spray them. Um, I would have to see. Uh, keep listening to the show, and I'll look. I think I know which fungicide I would use for that, but let me look up real quick on my phone uh, to make to make sure. Uh, for for that. So, you know, sometimes if you get into older stuff, it's almost impossible because of the physical size to spray it like it should be. But I think at the size you've got, that's probably not, that certainly wouldn't be an issue. There's one thing for sure, uh, in in the right fungicide and applying it, even if that's not it, well, you've wasted some time and some money, but you're not going to do anything to damage the tree or create any more issues. Craig, do you... uh, you, you have any thoughts? Well, the other thing, the, yeah, the other thing I was thinking of is cherries and plums both attract lots of the types of worms that like to get in there and chew on the leaves and build cocoons. Right. So I just wanted to make sure there was no spider webbing, web worms, tent caterpillars, things like that that could be um, munching and uh, causing that. Uh, that would be easy to see. You'd see a cocoon somewhere in the tree if that was the issue. 
Right. No, I haven't noticed that. Like I say, it's a little uh, confusing because the plum tree really is about 12 feet tall. I mean, it has jumped up in the last four years really good. And um, the other one, uh, the cherry tree is not quite that high. But, you know, I actually broke down and uh, got my tempered stepladder out and uh, climbed up the tree with some spray the other day just to see, you know, didn't know what to do, but I figured that fungicide might help a little bit. It was, I think, fertilome or something. But I read online, once again, everything you read there, of course, is true. And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it mentioned uh, for, for like brown spot, copper something or another, copper sulfate something. Yeah, it would have been copper fungicide. And, yeah, and yeah. that's yeah. probably the most inexpensive fungicide that you can buy, and it's been around for, forever. Okay. Well, thanks for your input, guys. I'll keep looking. And like I say, it, it has no other signs of stress. Uh, you know, the other trees in my yard are looking pretty good. I don't see any uh, brown leaves on them. But um, I know in the past I've had a problem where it's like, I don't know, some kind of little uh, insect that maybe it gets in and kind of eats out the the center of the leaves, you know, the leaves kind of the, the little uh, runners or spikes there, you know, the hold that form the leaf actually. And it doesn't look like that. It just looks like... Um, uh, I don't know. And again, maybe it just looks a little wilted because some of them, uh, particularly the newer ones, they they do look pretty wilted. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of plants now that are under stress. Well, so. One other thing, too, and not knowing exactly what's going on, if you're getting leaf drop from that, get get the leaves up. Don't leave all leave all those leaves laying around on the ground uh, at, under right. under the tree. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, I haven't had any leaves dropping off there but like i say this is um uh interesting dilemma because uh the tree looks so beautiful my neighbors comment on how great that tree looks and how much it's grown and now it's got this i'm assuming though left untreated uh it eventually will kill the tree right not necessarily uh sometimes you can get some of the fungal leaves and get some defoliation and they'll leaf they'll uh leaf back <clears throat> out uh and next year you'll never know the difference on it so that's not always the case well, I, I have a, at least a 25-year-old plum tree, and about every four years, uh, an entire limb or branch will just turn brown like dead. I, I cut it out, and it and the rest of the tree comes right back, and it doesn't happen until another three or four years. And so I haven't haven't sprayed or anything, Gerald. Fire blight. And I'm I'm sure that's what it is. And it just mm-hmm. cut that. If you've got that, you cut it out. But you you're talking like your tree's got it all over it. It does. It's, it's got it all over, and uh, I know I've taken a lot of time this morning, guys. I appreciate that, but my final what, question would... What percentage of the leaves are brown on the tree? Is it half, a fourth, a third, five percent? Oh, no. It, it's probably, in looking at it, I'm going to say it's probably about half. Okay. Ooh. You know, it, it's not localized to one area. It's just, you know, whether it's uh, the new growth or the old growth, it all looks the same, and again... Uh, I'm just wondering, I'd like to say my final question would be, uh, if you spray it once, uh, is that something you wait a couple of weeks and do again? Or Yes, in, a, yes in all likelihood, and particularly if you end up using copper fungicide, uh, right. I'd probably spray once and again in 10, in 10 days. 10 days, okay. Now, what if it rains a lot uh, in that 10 days? Uh, I probably would spray again sooner, yeah. <laughs> sooner than that. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, you guys have been a great help this morning. Thank you, and I'll keep listening in case you have another idea. Yeah, and Robert, uh, let us know how this turns out. We, we like to know. We like to keep up with our listeners. Especially if it's good news. We don't yeah. want to hear the bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll listen to the bad, too, Robert. That's all right. <laughs> well, you know, I did, uh, did take a, a couple of leaves and put them in a, a sandwich bag, thinking if I go somewhere near the garden center or something, I would uh, care of them and let them look at it. That would be a great idea. I kind of live over here toward the countryside, and unfortunately, with the price of gas, I don't get to town too much. I got you. I understand. All right, guys. Well, thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate you listening and calling. All right. Yes, more sir. of the Weekend Gardener coming up. We'll talk more tomatoes with uh, Brother Rufus and Gerald Adams and Craig LeHoulier, and we'll talk about uh, Craig's book that uh, is available all over the world, and uh, uh, Epic Tomatoes. So uh, lots of uh, – we only have uh, Craig for another few minutes, so uh, give us a call if you uh, definitely have a tomato question. It's 847. You're listening to the longest-running gardening show on the radio. It's the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. We're back on WPTF at 854. 919-860-9783. Mike Rayley here along with Rufus Edmonston. Gerald Adams is with us. And uh, Craig LaHoulier from uh, up in Hendersonville. Uh, just uh, to, to made it growing away up there. Got uh, the book Epic Tomatoes still available, Craig, and uh, and also a book about vegetables, growing <clears throat> vegetables. Yep, the Straw Bale book and Epic Tomatoes uh, continues on. Um, I get a lot of requests for signed copies, and people just email me, and we can work that out. But it's been gratifying. Um, still doing the tomato course with Joe Lample, which um, keeps me busy. Uh, we do... And I'm still doing Instagram lives from my driveway every Thursday at 3 o'clock, um, just looking at at NC Tomato Man. So uh, I'm taking people on the journey, um, the good and the bad. And, um, I, you know, I get a lot of comments that people are very comforted when I have problems and show them. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. bet they yeah. are. Missy loves company. Yeah. Gerald, I well, it, yeah, there's no perfect way to grow tomatoes, and you have to be honest that it's it's hard, and it makes people, I think, more avid gardeners. And uh, when they realize they're going to have issues, and just forge on and keep doing it. Yeah. So, Craig, I'm growing large Lucky Red this year for the first time, and this past Yay. week I ate my first one, and I saved yeah. seed from my first from the second one uh, this past week. So, t- tell me a little bit uh, about the, how that came about. I'm familiar with the Lucky, and I wanted to know where this came from. we got about three minutes. You sure? Well, I'll do it quick. Both Lucky Cross and Little Lucky came from the bees fiddling around with Brandywine in my garden in Raleigh. And Large Lucky Red came as a color variant out of Lucky Cross when it hadn't been completely stabilized yet. But it seems stable now. So it's essentially a Brandywine-flavored scarlet large tomato on a potato leaf plant that is really really good so i'm glad you liked it gerald i, I like it and it does it <laughs> seems to me on this first one i save seed that there's not a ton of seed in it for fruit that's above average size 
Yeah, it, it shares that almost seedless characteristic of Lucky Cross, and uh, Lillian's Yellow is a similar one that doesn't have a whole lot of seeds in it. So, uh, you know, it's a seed saver's frustration tomato. That's my only problem with it, because, yes, I sure do like how it tastes, and I want to be able to provide plants of it, but I'm going to have to save a bunch. Of, I'm going to have to yeah. not eat a bunch of fruit and save the seed from it, so that takes a lot of restraint. Sure. Well, Craig, I'm angling Gerald to get the one he's got here. I can't wait. Yeah, I brought one today that Rufus is going to oh, take great. home and try. <laughs> well, I just want to say it's so fun to be on with you guys. And, Mike, I really, really appreciate the invitations and having a chance to do this. It's kind of, it's a highlight of my gardening season when I get to be on. Well, I, I appreciate your time. I really do. And, and your insight and all the information that you uh, share with everybody. I'm uh I'm sorry you're not not close by, but uh, I'm glad you're still having success there in the mountains. Yeah, every, anybody that's in the area, let me know and drop by. Uh, this place, We two and a half years into living here, it, it is pretty heavenly out here. And now that COVID's easing and, you know, there, there's more street fairs and more restaurants are opened up now, and we're getting to fully appreciate what the North Carolina mountains have to offer. It's quite a special place, actually. You're in the Hendersonville area, which is very, very popular. Yeah, 20 minutes from the Pisgah, 20 minutes from DuPont, 20 minutes from the Arboretum. So uh, we get to flip a coin and decide which one we're going to hike in on any given day. That's, that's Oh, not too wow. Bad. No, that's not bad at all. Gosh. Mm. All right, so uh, give your website, uh, uh, Instagram, all of that again. Sure. So uh, com is the website. nctomatoman at gmail.com is my email. And at nctomatoman is my Instagram. And any one of those uh, three things, uh, you'll find me. You know, send me your questions, uh, share your results. But I'm always here to help. Anything I can do to help, that's, that's why I do what I do. All right, Craig, uh, we'll be in touch, my friend. Let's do it again. You have a great rest of the day, guys. Great All job, right. Man. We'll see you, Craig. Thank you, Craig. Bye-bye. Craig, Craig LaHoulier uh, with us. Give your website, too, Gerald. Uh, it's GeraldandHenrysPlants.com, and that's my G- and use GeraldandHenrysPlants at gmail.com if you want to send me a question or some pictures. Yeah, and if— And yeah. send me some good pictures. I'll, most of the time, all I get is the disease— and what's going wrong pictures, but I like to see a good picture every now and then, too. Yeah. All right, more of the Weekend Gardener coming up. <laughs>